I'm excited to be with you. I'm privileged enough to, to be with you. See, privileged if you want to hear more about that, 5th of April. But I'm privileged to be here with you guys this morning. I'm going to share some of my answers to the question of the day. The one on and I were chatting during the week, and the one that he said that I'm paid to answer is, I want to know biblical Greek a little bit more. Okay, so that's, that's my employment answer. Um, my macho answer would be something like, I want to know how to fix a car. But cursed, maybe going to greasy dolls, so <laughs> perhaps I don't need to. Um, when I was in high school, though, all I wanted to know was rock music. I was, uh, we were creating, a friend of, friend of, friends of mine and I were creating stickers, creating logos, t-shirts. We were going to be a band. We didn't know how to play instruments, but we were going to be an absolutely amazing band. And um, we kind of developed this rock snob mentality. You know these people. So my cousin, in his infinite wisdom, bought me a book called The Rock Snob's Dictionary. And a rock snob is defined as a sort of music connoisseur for whom the actual enjoyment of music is but a side dish to the accumulation of arcane random knowledge about it. We know these people, right? I was this person for a long time. They spend the whole time there with you saying, oh, that's terrible. Nothing's good, man. Nothing's good. Nothing ever is good enough. And that's kind of, kind of where we're picking things up today with the church in Corinth. We're going to see that they were so obsessed with trying to accumulate worldly knowledge, religious, philosophical, cultural knowledge, all about God, but they forgot to enjoy an actual living relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you can't remember where we've been the past three weeks, or if you haven't been to church, or you've joined us for the first week, don't worry, I'm going to recap a little bit for us. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's come before our Lord and pray. We praise you, Lord God, our Father, creator of heaven and earth, We thank you, Lord, that in your wisdom you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world as a complete sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Lord, that through Jesus we are set right with you for all eternity. Thank you, Lord, that because of him we're able to gather here, Rooted Fellowship, this morning as one body, one single body, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus we are able to learn more about you, connect with you, communicate with you and your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would fall down right now in this place. Lord, just so that your Spirit would fall right here, that you would show us your glory, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would lead me and may the words of my mouth, the thoughts of my mind be pleasing to you, Lord. May they glorify you, O God. May they lead us deeper into a true knowledge of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so week one, Messy Grace. Stephen introduced to us the city of Corinth and the context in which this Corinthian church was operating. So a couple of things that we need to remember. Corinth was a cosmopolitan city within Greece. It was also governed by the Romans at the time that Paul wrote these letters. And it was influenced hugely by Greek and pagan religion and philosophy. 
Steve shared with us a bit about the scandalous nature of Greek religion, pagan religion, because they worshipped numerous gods and goddesses. And it's super important for us to know today that Greek philosophy essentially strived to know absolutely everything, absolute truths about absolute everything. It strived to know absolute truths about absolutely everything. And this would often lead to great debates amongst the various schools of thought. And these debates would become really, really divisive within the community in Corinth. These guys would compete at such a level that they would even form sects. Where's the Apple sect? Yeah? Oh, is that it? Okay, cool. They'd form these sects, bodies, communities within their community. They were making their preferences prejudices. Most of Corinthians' residents were Greek, but there were also a number of Jews. There was a synagogue in the city. But there was a diverse number of other nationalities there as well. This was a transcultural community with residents coming from all over that region. It was a port city with a bustling marketplace filled with artisans and tradesmen. It was a growing city with an emerging middle class. And many of the citizens of Corinth were previously slaves or, or soldiers who kind of had bought their freedom. They'd won their freedom. They were hardworking entrepreneurs, social climbers, people of political prominence. And because of this, they were considered quite a snobby people because of their self-made success. And they were actually thought of as intellectually arrogant. Kind of sounds like Joburg. <laughs> so we have this highly competitive environment, people competing business, politics, social standing. It was like a modern-day city that people flocked to, hoping to acquire wealth, wisdom, prosperity. And as a result of all these factors, the Christians in Corinth were struggling within their environment. They were surrounded by corruption, every conceivable sin. And so they would have felt severe pressure to conform to their surroundings. In the same way that we experience pressure, peer pressure today, I'm sure that that was real for them then. Fast forward one week, Oni then took us through the beginning or the greeting of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We learned about the tension between who the Corinthian Christians were in Jesus Christ versus how they were going about living as corrupt individuals in desperate need of a savior. And we learned that the church in Corinth was striving to become spiritually knowledgeable, spiritually knowledgeable. They were chasing after human wisdom. Who was here on Wednesday night? That's the human wisdom, right? Mikkel, where is he? The Chalyun still haunts me as I sleep. Every night, I'm thinking about it. It's the difference between coffee and ribs. How was the ribs? Lekker. You, oh, okay. Well, that's only fair. Bonza then explained to us, as a result of many of this Corinthians church's cultural, religious, philosophical influences, it was facing the very same issues that the city in Corinth was facing. 
And so the church was also spiritually divided and spiritually immature. This church was reflecting its culture, not influencing it. There's lots of evidence to support that they were effectively challenging Paul's authority to teach them. And they also appeared to want to modify the gospel. Let's tweak it here. Let's change this message to incorporate a bit of Greek, a bit of uh, religion, a bit of culture. And they were super divided because they were weighing various church leaders against one another. Peter, Paul, Apollos. As I was thinking about this, I envisioned the scene. You know the scene some of us who are boxing enthusiasts would know it. You've got this camp sitting here, Manny Pacquiao. Orthodox attack. Okay? And he's the champion of this. This is the best way to fight. And in this corner, you've got Floyd Mayweather. Um, Southpaw? Manny Southpaw. Thanks, Tiamo. Um, violence is also a thing that you like. Um, Southpaw. Okay, so you've got that one. And he, and, 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 but he's a, a counter puncher. Okay? And so we, these are the two ways of thought. And you know this kind of scene where they like come to the weigh-in, and then it's like... And they're going at each other. And then it's like, it's all cool. Everybody's fine. This, this way, fighter, fighter, this way, this. And then somebody says something about someone's mama. And it just like, gets out of hand. That's what's happening in Corinth. Okay? Is they're putting these people against each other. They were overly concerned with minor things in the church. And because of their backgrounds, philosophical, religious, cultural... The church in Corinth, was, they were looking to debate all the time. They were trying to be divisive, purposefully challenging Paul's simple message, simple message and his authority. And it was all done under this banner of the search for Sophia, the Greek wisdom, a word for wisdom. So the divine Sophia was this idea that believers had arrived, or figured things out, obtained godly wisdom in their own strength. Kind of like nirvana in a Buddhism or a Hindu background. And this is how the Corinthians were attempting to learn more about God. Or rather, how the different groups within the church were attempting to appear as if they sought to know more about God. Finally, Kenny last week then explained to us the beginning of Paul's answer and response to the rebellion, division, self-reliance in the church of Corinth. Paul aimed to rebuke, correct, and unify the church when he informed them in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31 and 2, 1-5 that only the power of the gospel, which is a deep awareness of Christ's completely satisfying life, death, and resurrection, only this gospel, this one single thing, the one pure gospel, that says that we are so sinful that we need to be saved utterly by grace. Only the power of this gospel allows us to see God as he really is. This was so radical and countercultural for these Corinthians. It was too radical and countercultural the first time Paul preached it three years prior. That's why they are where they are. And it's radical and countercultural still even as they read this letter now that Paul is writing to them, which reiterates Christ's message. Paul says that true wisdom, 
Godly wisdom, the wisdom which these Corinthian churchgoers appear so desperate for, is to be found only in the power of the gospel. And so today, we pick it up where Paul expands on God's wisdom in Jesus Christ in the next installment of Messy Grace. I want you to notice that Paul teaches us about the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in our text this morning. He shows us that true wisdom requires all three persons of the Godhead. The wisdom of God our Father and Creator is only revealed to us in Jesus Christ, the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's also important to remember that when it came to spiritual knowledge, Paul described himself as the Hebrew amongst Hebrews prior to meeting Jesus on that straight road to Damascus. He was a Jewish religious maestro. And yet, let's let's look and see what he has to say to the church in Corinth and indeed what he has to say to us today. Let me bring up the text. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 to 9, first of all. Yet, among the mature... We do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not, thought, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We continue. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bear with me. We're going to dive straight in. Paul is arguing here against the Corinthians' approach to gaining wisdom. Their approach completely undermines the gospel. It completely undermines the gospel which he came and preached three years prior. And so Paul responds to this by effectively saying, "Um, you know the gospel which I came and preached three years ago? Um, Yeah, that's still actually the wisdom of God. That's how you gain true wisdom. Oh, and you can't just pursue it in your own strength. But it is only recognized by those who have the spirit of God living inside of them. So the irony is that these spiritual, churchy Corinthians 
are actually unspiritual. And although they are pursuing all sorts of wisdom, they're missing the very wisdom of God. The first thing Paul says is that God the Father's true wisdom is secret and hidden. So let's get into it. Verse 6. Yet among the mature, in other words, those who are spiritually mature, God-fearing, Christ-following Christians, yet among these people, we do impart, the NIV puts it differently, we do speak a message of wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age. Meaning it's not of that time in history when he was writing. It's not of today's time. It's eternal. And it's not the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And and it is not of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So Paul's talking about those in power in Rome and Corinth. But he's also talking about those experiencing financial entrepreneurial success as they were in the church in Corinth. We'll continue in verse 7. We had this up a bit earlier. Bayers did a teaching. I can go home, right? No, but I got you guys here, so you might as well get your money's worth. Um, But sign up for the course. Okay. But we impart, we Christians, Christ-following Christians, speak a message, a secret hidden wisdom, in other words, a mysterious wisdom of God which God decreed or he destined before the ages of our glory. God's wisdom is secret and hidden because it was so countercultural to the wisdom acquiring practices of the day, that day and today. The Corinthians, the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, they sought complex worldly wisdom, which blurred out and opposed the message of Jesus Christ. I came across a quote by Dr. J. Kent Edwards, lofty theologian from the Talbot School of Theology, and he says, any idiot can be complicated, but it takes pure genius to be simple. Let me say that again. Any idiot can be complicated, but it takes pure genius to be simple. Think about profound truths. They're they're all simple. God knows that because he is the author author of all things profoundly true. Great food, great art. No, I don't know about Tarantino. Great films, great music. Simple. Although Paul was a deep thinker, an educated rabbi, a religious scholar, God used him to bring his great learning down to the common people like me and you. But the Corinthians, they just couldn't get it. And yet whilst God's the Father's wisdom is simple for those who have crossed the line of faith, it's also a mystery at the same time. This mystery, however, is revealed to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. God loved the world so much, he sent his one and only son to live the perfect life, to be crucified and resurrected so that no one would be separated from him any longer. By believing in Jesus, everyone can have have eternal life. 
So it brings us to the second point that Paul makes. God the Father's true wisdom is revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. What is this? Scholars think that Paul is referring to the political leaders who murdered Jesus. Because they, just like the Corinthians, did not seek godly wisdom. But then he points out the irony. For if they, those rulers, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, had this godly wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Because if they had had godly wisdom, there would have been no cross. Because they would have recognized Jesus as the Savior of the world. And so the cross is both simple and yet a mystery. And then Paul quotes Isaiah 64, verse 4 in verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Message says it like this. Since before time, no one has ever imagined, no ear heard, no eye seen, a God like you, who works for those who wait for him. This passage is not talking about heaven. It's talking about salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, what's super interesting is that Paul would have known this verse for pretty much his whole life. He was a religious, zealous rabbi. But it is only after meeting Jesus on that straight road in Damascus and then receiving him as Lord and Savior that Paul was able to recognize God the Father's wisdom in this verse and in every other Old Testament verse in prophecy. Paul then goes on to explain how the church in Corinth, in Corinth can receive God the Father's wisdom in Jesus Christ. His third point, he says, God the Father's true wisdom is revealed in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. These things, referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Meaning God's Holy Spirit and the third member of the Trinity. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, the Father. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts? except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Paul teaches us here that the Holy Spirit searches the very depths of the heart and mind of God the Father. Only the Holy Spirit can do this because the Spirit is also God. The Holy Spirit functions within the Trinity the same way our human spirit functions within us. Our spirit is the innermost part of our being. It's where our deepest, most private thoughts are. We are the ones who truly, truly live with ourselves. No one knows us better than ourselves. So when cursed, my wife and I have a minor difference of opinion... Nothing frustrates me, no wait, nothing frustrates her more than when I, another person, try and tell her what she's feeling or thinking or saying. She knows what she's saying. 
I thought I would have got an amen there. <laughs> Guys, they know what they're saying and feeling. Let's listen. Paul continues, verse 12 and 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in, uh, th- this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I came across uh, a teaching on this by Pastor Keith Krell, and he says that the Holy Spirit is like a uniquely specialized, highly skilled deep-sea diver. And it's the, he's the only person who can go into the depths of God's heart. Reveal to us, his children, the thoughts of God, after which God's Spirit then connects us, connects with our spirits. Who's, who does diving here? Hey, handsome. I thought I was going to have to like, say, like, oh, is it a Joburg thing? Okay. How do you know a diver? How do you know somebody dives? They'll tell you, exactly. Same as CrossFit. But now when you speak to Stephanie and Herman, when you speak to these people, like initially they're like, oh, no, I'm going to Mozambique for the weekend. It's great. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then like they show you, start showing you photos of like the, what are those things? What do you dive? The reefs. The reefs. And you see these fish and you're like, whoa. It really is amazing. It's beautiful. So as disciple makers, it's as if we then share these deep sea truths from the spirit that we've gained with other deep sea enthusiasts. Who are, who are those who are willing or actually spiritually mature enough to receive the gospel message. You see, the primary place where Paul and the church in Corinth are at odds over is the issue of what it truly means to be spiritual. What it means to be a person of the Spirit of God. And therefore, one of the most crucial, crucial roles of the Spirit is to reveal the cross of Jesus Christ as the answer to every question ever asked. Wayne Grudem, a, theolo- a theologian, theologian, says that the work of the Holy Spirit is to make known the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. So how do we receive the Spirit? How do we connect with God's Spirit? Paul finally shows us that in order to receive and connect with God's Holy Spirit, we need to be humble and yet confident. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. In other words, they don't expect the cross. For they are folly, pure foolishness to them. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, they are spiritually given through the Holy Spirit, only to open and willing human spirits. But why? Only because of God's grace. Only because of his extraordinary love for us in sending Jesus. Paul is saying that there will be those people who either outrightly reject the gospel or who just cannot accept it. So we therefore need to be humble and grateful that God has revealed to us his wisdom, which is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Or, this morning, we need to humbly ask God to reveal to us, through His Holy Spirit, His answer and His true wisdom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul then says in verses 15 and 16, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. In other words, the true believer can be confident in their right standing with God through Jesus Christ. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? And yet, we, re- we receive this, but we're always to remain humble. But we have the mind of Christ. We are both humble and confident. But never elitist or snobby because we, we have God's true wisdom. And so we come this morning and respond to this message in one of two ways. Perhaps you're here, you're not, perhaps you're here, you don't know why you're here, and maybe you haven't yet crossed, crossed the line of faith. And you're trying to figure this life out. You're listening to the Dr. Phil's, the Oprah Winfrey's of this world. Perhaps you're searching, Googling, trying to find nirvana, trying to find the answers. You're consulting all sorts of philosophers, celebrities, social media personalities, Facebook friends. Perhaps it's time to humbly and yet boldly and confidently approach God the Father's throne of grace. Seek his true wisdom revealed in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to know that he loves you so, so much. By obediently confessing our faith in Jesus Christ, accepting our sinful nature, and apologizing for our sins, the Holy Spirit will be able to flow into your life and reveal God's true wisdom for you. If that's where you're at this morning, I'd encourage you to come up after the service. There'll be people here who can lead you in prayer. Just pray with you, be with you. Or perhaps you have crossed the line of faith. But for whatever reason, just like the Corinthian churchgoers, you've forgotten about the transforming power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God. And you're seeking to know more about God, mainly through preachers, teachers, worship leaders, theologians. If I want to know more about a friend or my wife, I can do a few things. I want to see how she's doing. I can go to her her parents' house and I can look through a photo album of her. And that may give me an insight into how she's feeling. She's feeling at times, at happy occasions like birthdays. But it also can be deceiving because she could be going through tough times and smiling in these photos. Or I could come to church and ask her friends, hey, how's Kirst doing? Is she doing okay? And they could tell me, no, she's struggling with this. Okay, cool. Or here's the ingenious, simple thing that we could do. I think you know where I'm going. I could go to her and be like, Hey, babe, how are you doing? How are you doing? No, I'm <laughs> I could do that. I could say, 
Let me know your heart. I'm going to confess to you that even as I prepared for the message this week, God revealed to me that my prayer life and my devotional life was not where it should have been. I so eagerly flipped to commentaries, theological quotes, what other preachers had to say about this text, but I forgot to seek what God wanted to show me about himself. I forgot the very wisdom of God the Father through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. If this is where you find yourself this morning, then we too should also humbly and confidently come before the throne of God the Father and creator of the universe and pray for his spirit to lead us to where our trust is without borders and to trust the spirit to take us deeper where our feet could never wander in our own strength. We need to ask God to keep us so rooted in the gospel and if we do this, if we just do this, then unlike the church in Corinth, we won't be harshly critical of our church leaders and members. We won't fixate on the small things, the small differences, prejudices, preferences, whatever. We'll acknowledge that there are problems in this world and in this church, and we'll know that they'll never be completely gone this side of Jesus returning. But we will be committed to further unity and true godly wisdom within this body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, in your loving, amazing, extravagant love and wisdom, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to make us right with you, to set us right with you, Lord. And Lord, this morning we want to acknowledge that he is your wisdom. He is the redemption, salvation plan that you provided for us. We worship him this morning. We lift his name up and we thank you, Lord God, creator. And Lord, as we meet here and as you minister to us, Lord, and as your spirit moves in this place, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just fall down, Lord, right now. Fall in this place and move amongst us. Convict us, challenge us, comfort us, Lord. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to us. Lord, we pray that you would just move through this place, Lord, like a raging fire, Lord. That you would turn hearts to you, Lord. That you would reunite our hearts with you, Lord. That you would continue to do an amazing work in us, Lord. That as we go out from this place, as your church is rooted fellowship in the city of Pretoria, Lord, that we would go out with your wisdom and your spirit and spread your love, your gospel to every corner of the city. Lord, we just want to confess and say sorry for the times that we've just left you out, left you out of church, left you out of work, left you out of our families. Lord, we've even left you out of our devotional life with you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would move here and reconnect us with you. Not because you were never there, Lord, but just because we've been too busy filling our lives, trying to accumulate knowledge of this world, Lord. 
We're sorry, Jesus. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord.